Hello and welcome back. Welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. We are Crossroads Church located in Loveland, Colorado, about an hour north of Denver. And you can find out a lot of information at crossroadscolorado.com. And be sure when you have a chance to access the show notes, I have a link that will take you to our gather page. And that is a landing spot for a lot of good, important links for you. You can find the link to the Feed e-newsletter. You can also find a link to the Digital Connect card. And we would love to know that you are here. Who's here? Let us know when you are ready for that. I would love to connect with you. And also there's different ways to get Well, today Ryan is starting a new series called Love You, and that's spelled L-U-V-U, like Love University. And so we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and it's a great series, a great launch today. So here's Ryan, and then at the end, he will also send us out with the blessing. like listening to that music as I came out and I had a like memory of a Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Like they're dancing in the club and like that just, just sorry. I know totally not appropriate for church. My apologies. That's just how my mind works. I was like, I got to get it together here. I got to get it together here. Hey, it's great to be here today. Uh, hey, do me a favor. Just give a big thank you to the band for music and, and being here and our tech folks for making it all possible. <laughs> Wonderful to see everybody. Hey, as you came in today, you should have received a program. If you did not receive one of those, it's because we don't like you and you really should leave. No, if you didn't get a program, it just slipped our minds. Raise your hand up nice and high and our room host will be walking around to make sure you get one. It has your talk notes in there. It has those prayers from MLK that Aisha mentioned and all kinds of information. It's got our giving envelope and pledge cards for the Adventure is Worth It uh, ministry focus that we're in this year. So if you weren't able to be here last week, I would encourage you to uh, get the, the on-demand message, go to the podcast, check it out. We talked about the Adventure is Worth It just this emphasis for 2022. We talked about key areas that we're going to commit our time, our talent, and our treasure to as a church. And if you are a guest this morning, thank you so much for being here. If you're tuning in online, thank you for tuning in. Or if you're out in the atrium, or if this is your first time tuning in, you're kind of checking things out. It's amazing how many of you I've met over the last couple of weeks that said, well, we've been attending online for a couple of weeks before you came here and, and to like check it out in person. So if that's you, thank you so much. And I'd love for everybody to fill out that Connect card this morning. If you would, please do that. Just put your name and email address if you're a regular attender, if you're a guest. As much information as you feel comfortable sharing with us, we will not sell your information for anything less than it's worth. I promise. Um, so you know that if you, you know, we aren't going to do anything with that. It's just there. And uh, we'd love to follow up with you. And you can, if you want any information, you can uh, just check some boxes on the back. And if you have a prayer request, you can write that prayer request on the back of that Connect card. And we have a care ministry team and all of our staff get those prayer requests every week. And we'd love to have that. So uh, thank you so very much for doing that. Listen, we're going to jump in. If you're a talk notes person, there's talk notes that are in your program. Uh, the, the, we give you the answers. They're in bold, highlight yellow on the screen, all right? So you don't have to worry too much, all right? As we launch this new series today on MLK Weekend on the really the nature of love. Let me ask you this question, a little mind experiment. Think about it for just a moment. What motivates you in life? Just think about that for a second. What motivates you? 
right? Like, what do you get out of bed in the morning for? Why do you go to work? What motivates you to come to church or to tune in to church when you're at home, right? Like, why, why are you doing it? Why, why is it a part of your life? Lots of things motivate us. We're all motivated by different uh, different things. One of the, the things that some of us are motivated by, like we get out of bed in the morning, we go to work because we're motivated by the idea of success. How many of y'all want to be successful? Raise your hand up nice and high. How many of y'all don't? Just happy to be unsuccessful, just barely making it through life, right? You're like, no, I'd rather be the tail, not the head. No, no problem at all there, right? No, we all want to, in some measure, success is so that drives us. Some of us are motivated by power. Now, some of these words sometimes have like negative connotations, but I, you, know, you might say, I'm kind of motivated because I want power and influence and I want to create a more just world. I want, to, I want to have power in my organization or in the business that I work so that I can create an environment that builds up people, right? That's not necessarily a bad thing, but you're motivated. So you, you get up in the morning, you work hard, whatever. Maybe your family is the key motivator. Like you're here today because you just believe that a spiritual life is important for your family, right? Maybe you're motivated by, you go to work so that you can spend time with your family, go on vacations and, and be there on the week. Like you took a specific job that had specific hours so that you could be there specifically at times with your family. Like that's something that motivated you. Maybe you're motivated by wealth. How many of y'all like money? Raise your hand up nice and high. Same people that like success are willing to admit that. I like money, right? We all, we're, measure, we're like motivated by a measure of wealth, right? We take a different job. Maybe we think, well, this job's not going to be quite as good as the one I'm in, but it's way more money. And that's a motivating factor for you. And that's okay, right? So what's interesting is our motivations, we could think of them as desires, right? Desires, like what we desire. So if we desire success, we're going to make decisions, we're going to develop values based upon that, right? If we, if we have this high, high desire for a healthy family, we're going to make decisions and sacrifices based upon that desire, right? So I have this kind of belief as we launch into this series on 1 Corinthians 13. If you're new to Bible study, 1 Corinthians 13 is the very famous kind of passage around what love is, what the Apostle Paul wrote. And as we kind of talk about this passage of Scripture, these verses over the next five weeks, I want to say that I don't think the issue is a lack of love. Now, some of you are like, <laughs> you've lost your mind, Ryan. See, because I think like love, in a sense, is a desire, right? In, in a just generic sense. I think the issue is not a lack of love. Like some of us love success. We love money. We love power. We love our political parties. We love whatever it might be. So we have those desires. I think what happens is that our desire is often misdirected, that our love is misdirected. It's focused in areas that are actually unhealthy for us as people, unhealthy for us as a culture, as humanity. And so when we take a desire, like I think a great example of it is like a desire for, say, wealth, right? There's like nothing wrong with wanting to be wealthy, right? But when that desire gets misdirected and so focused and so overwhelming, some really terrible things can happen. We can mistreat people. We can become very, very greedy. We can hurt one another, right? We can, stop, we can start to devalue people or only see people as a means to an end when it comes to wealth, things like that. Misdirection is one of the key tools of a great magician. How many of you all like magic shows? I'm not going to give you one today. Nice try, right? But that's what, that's what magic is based on, right? Like draw your attention to something flashy and shiny and sparkly and loud while what really is important is happening over here. And then you're like, how did that happen? Because our attention is misdirected, right? And misdirected love, misdirected desire oftentimes counterfeits and hides the real nature of love. 
the selfless nature of what love is, of certainly Christ-like love. And this was the problem that was happening in this church in a town called Corinth. It wasn't that this church didn't have love or that these people didn't have love. It's that their love, their desire was misdirected. And in that misdirection, some, some bad fruit had grown on the tree, right? And there was some bad fruit of chaos in their community. There was contentiousness. There was divisions, right? They had become misdirected by a love of popularity, a love of prestige. Like who was the, who was the person who had the most uh, personality? And so this little fledgling church in a community in a town called Corinth, uh, Paul addresses uh, one of his letters to. A little background on this letter, 1 Corinthians. If you're new to Bible study, 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, I always go to the right when I say New Testament. I always go to the left when I say Old Testament because back in the day, we'd have these things called Bibles. And uh, they were bound and they were a thing called a book. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these before. And they had things called pages in them. And uh, you used to have to turn the pages right? Uh, to- I-, I understand. Now we scroll and things like that, but that's how we got swipe left and swipe right, by the way. It originated in what we called a book back in the day, okay? So in, <laughs> in the Bible, right, there's the New Testament. It's divided into two sections, right? And uh, there's some letters in it, and they're written by different people. And one of the letters in there, one of the longer ones, is called 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is one of what scholars would call the undisputed seven letters of Paul. So there's 13 letters in the New Testament that are attributed to Paul. Seven, every scholar says, this comes from the authentic Paul right? These are genuine. We believe that the historical Paul wrote these seven letters, right? They're uh, 1 Thessalonians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, Philemon, Philippians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. So those seven, everybody agrees, Paul actually wrote. The other six, some are contested because they think, well, maybe Paul wrote part of it or somebody wrote it in Paul's name. And then there's a few that most scholars just absolutely agree this didn't originate with Paul. In fact, some scholars believe some of the letters are quite anti-Paul, that within the letters of Paul, we see like a radical Paul, Paul, we see a, a more conservative Paul, and then we actually see an anti-Paul, right? Some letters, some like people that were trying to like counter some of Paul's teaching on his radical inclusive nature of the church, right? So this city in Corinth uh, was a kind of a seaport. It sat, uh, there were two ports that it could see. So it's very, very important city, very multicultural, lots of commerce coming in. In Paul's world, Corinth was the most important city in Greece. It wasn't Athens, even though Greece and Athens were in the same Roman district, uh, Greece, uh, uh, Corinth would have been the most important city. Lots of commerce, very cosmopolitan, multi-ethnic, multi-religious cultures there. There was a synagogue there, a Jewish synagogue. It was probably pretty small. But Paul goes there because he knows this is one of the most important cities in all of Greece and in this Roman province. And he spends 18 months there. And you can read about this in the book of Acts in the New Testament if you want to. But he spends 18 months there, probably about maybe 20 years, 15, 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So he's there on his mission to the Gentiles is what he would say. He was there to bring this good news of Jesus to people outside the faith of Jerusalem. And so he starts a community there, and it's called a church, right? Now, when we say Paul starts a church, remember, it's not like this church. There was no building. It's not like the church would gather for a sermon and teaching and worship. A church was a community of people, right? This word uh, called out ones, and they would gather together, and they would share a meal together, and they were basically intent on trying to figure out how to see and live life the Jesus way right? What does that look like to come together, to give of one another, to share what they had together? And so most of these folks had very little interaction with the Jewish faith, and so Paul really has his work cut out for him, 
right? Because these aren't folks that have grown up in Judaism and have an understanding of the Jewish God. They're coming from all different kinds of backgrounds. And so they come together in probably a fairly small group of people. Most of Paul's churches were planted, they were like 15 to 20 people. Very few of them would have been larger. Maybe Corinth had 100 people in it because of its size as a city. And probably what was happening in Corinth is because it was bigger than like that, they were, they were kind of limited with where they could meet because they didn't have a building. So they would meet in homes. And so they probably would start to break down and there would be 10 or 15 people that would go meet in this house and 10 or 15 people that would meet in this house and meet in this house. And that's probably the source of one of the divisions. They probably kind of gathered around different leaders that they liked, different preachers, different people that would come and visit town, evangelists, things like that. And so these like little communities were gathering and they had all kinds of problems. And, and we, this is going to be hard to relate to, all right, because most of our churches have no problems whatsoever, especially this time of year, decade, I don't know, millennia, right, whatever it might be. So there's all this division, all this coming. Paul hears word of it. They send Paul a letter, and somebody kind of rats out the community, like they're tattling. They're like, Paul, this is what's going on, and this is what's going on, and this guy is sleeping with his father's wife. It's crazy. There's all kinds of weird stuff happening. And so Paul writes this letter back. He's in a town called Ephesus in Asia, which is like 200 miles across the Aegean Sea. So he sends this letter back, and at times, like, you read it, and you're like, man, Paul is not jerk. Like, he's just so harsh with him. Some of you, that really hurt your feelings. I said that. I should be real careful. Like, uh, but if you read it, you're like, man, this guy is unsympathetic. Like, he's really harsh, right? But he's addressing these problems that have been there, all this division and conflict that had grown, and it had created this, like, incredible sense of disorder in the community. Like, people didn't like one another. They weren't motivated by love. They were motivated, well, they weren't motivated by love for one another, right? They were motivated by a love for personalities, a love for this leader, a love for this teacher, a love for this evangelist, all kinds of problems. There was chaos. People were, like, trying to use their talents to, to get popularity, to be in front of people. Like, when they would gather and be chaos, they would gather for a meal, like a shared meal. They would call it the kind of the Lord's Supper. And, like, what would happen is all the wealthy people would get there early because they didn't have to work and they would eat all the food. And then the poorer people would come and there'd be no food for them. And Paul was like, what is going on with you people? Don't you have homes to eat in, right? So this is all happening. And right in kind of the middle of uh, 1 Corinthians, we have these like three chapters, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, that all deal with this idea of chaos in the church and the use of spiritual gifts. Now, just so you know, when I say the word spiritual gift, here's what I think of. Spiritual gift is any gift or talent that you or I have that we decide to allow God to have full control of and use for the benefit of others. So when I say spiritual gift, there are certainly those things that we think of as supernatural, but I don't think that's the only way to think about spiritual gifts. I think if you have the gift of not getting electrocuted when you work with wires and you decide to come and, and give that gift to help somebody who's having electrical problems, that's a spiritual gift. That's us surrendering and giving our lives over to the Lordship of Jesus, right, in our everyday normal kind of thing. So, but Paul certainly is kind of dealing with these gifts that would happen when people were gathered together that were meant to help people experience God. Because remember, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't open up their Bible, right? So right in the middle of Paul talking about, like, the use of these gifts and, and how everybody should be united, like, we get this chapter 13 on the primacy of love. And so to kind of walk through this chapter over the next four or five weeks, I want to start in chapter 12 at verse 27. 
And in chapter 12, verse 27, Paul has been kind of talking about how, hey, listen, everybody has a, a different gift. All of our, actually, he's given the analogy of the human body, right? He's like, the human body's got two hands and two feet and two eyes and two ears, right? Like, it's not that the hand can say to the foot, I don't need you because you're not a hand. So he's going through this analogy. And then he says, you are Christ's body, right? So this is what he says in verse 27 of chapter 12. You are Christ's body and are all individually parts of it, right? And what Paul's driving home is that individual followers of Jesus should come together and we should become something different. In fact, we come and we form these faith communities. Now, we call them churches. We have buildings, you know, some in buildings, some don't. But we come together and we bring our gifts, our talents, and, and we, we sink and link arms, and we function then as the body of Christ in this world. And we call that the gathered church around here. That's one of the phrases you'll hear me use. So Paul starts off and he says, listen, you are an individual follower of Jesus, but we have to come together and we become Christ's body, and we form this faith community together. And, and here's the deal. Like, everybody has all these gifts and talents. And he goes on in verse 28, and he says, some God has designated in the church to be first apostles and second prophets and teachers, and then for some to do mighty deeds, some gifts of healing, some assistance, some administration, and others a variety of tongues, right? And then he goes on and he says, are all apostles? Are, in other words, are all people that are sent by God somewhere to go start something, to give up everything? No. He says, is everybody a prophet? That's not like a fortune teller. That's a person who calls people to an experience of God, who can bring the confronting spirit of love and grace into a person's life, right? He says, no, everybody's not a prophet. Are all teachers? No. Can everybody perform mighty deeds? No, some people can. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do, does everybody speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret those? No. What Paul's driving home is that diversity in a church is what makes it a healthy community, right? We don't need 17 people to teach and nobody to have administrative gifts. We need every gift. And he says in verse 29, he says, so you should strive absolutely eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts, right? You should strive to use those. You should strive to use whatever gifts, talents God has given to you for the benefit of the church. But here's the thing. I want to show you a more excellent way. Now, this is a community that has been completely caught up in these gifts that are up front, that people can see, people can notice. And I think that their desire to be in front of people, their desire to have the greatest gift has counterfeited what real love looks like. And so Paul believes that the spiritual gifts are important. He believes that they're good, but they're not enough. They're not enough. And so Paul now is getting ready to basically go through every gift that he just laid out and to say, guess what? They're worthless if you don't have this more excellent way. Strive to use your gifts and talents, absolutely. But here's the deal. A church without love using all these gifts and talents is going to get into trouble. <laughs> Spiritual gifts without love is dangerous. And that's what Paul's driving home. And so here's what he says as we kick off chapter 13. He says, if I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, if you go, wait, 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 Paul. Didn't you just say that people should speak in tongues? Some of you are all weirded out now. You're like, is he going to make me speak in tongues? You don't have to speak in tongues. It's fine. No problem. If you want to, go ahead, do that at home. No problem. No problem. <laughs> I got no issues with that. Paul says, and I can just imagine as they're reading this, I'm like, but wait, you just said that we should speak in tongues. You just said that we should teach. 
Didn't you say that, Paul? Didn't you say that nah, not everybody speaks in tongues, but you should. Not everybody's an interpreter. You should. Not everybody's a teacher. But I think what Paul's saying is, guess what, guys? Speech without love for one another disorients the faith community. It'll disorient you. It's like, whoa, cognitive dissonance. Like that person up there who's speaking all this like wisdom, all this hope, but they don't like care about anybody. They don't interact with anyone. They don't get to know people. They don't give of themselves. Something isn't right. It's like you just kind of, huh? It's disorient. It's like that gong, that sound, that symbol, right? If I were to just go jump on the drum set and just go all animal, that's the Muppets, by the way, go all animal on the cymbals, no other instrument, no other going on, and I'm just like, ah, like, it would be like disorienting, right? Wouldn't it be something we want to hear? Teddy Roosevelt said, people don't care how much you know until how much you care, Right? That idea. And so Paul's like, hey, listen, yeah, you should do all this stuff, but here's the deal. If you, you can actually function, here's what's crazy. You can function in the gifts without love. And that might even, like God might even use that, but guess what? It's just at the end of the day, it's disorienting. It's never going to last. And then he goes on, he says, and if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, that'd be pretty amazing. I wouldn't mind that, right? Some of you are just like, I just wish I had the gift to comprehend this sermon, Ryan. That's all the spiritual gift I need. Totally understand that, right? Right? We're just sitting there, like all of a sudden, you go, Paul says, I could have all that. I could have all the faith so that I could move the mountains. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. He says, I'm nothing. He's getting ready to say nothing for a second time in a moment. He says, I'm nothing. Could you imagine being able to do all that stuff? Like being able to see into people's souls and help guide them, direct them into the grace and the love and the truth and the conviction of God. The God that created everything that's behind all truth, like to have that prophetic gift, to have the faith to bring healing. And I can imagine the community of Corinth going, Paul, what are you saying? You just told us to do this. And everybody who does it, man, we just love them. Everybody who like performs the healing, everybody who gives us a real word of knowledge, everybody, like we just like, oh, they're amazing. And Paul's like, but if they're not doing it out of love for one another, I think that's the implied love here, because they're doing it out of love for something, right? They're doing it out of love for prestige. They're doing it out of love for power. But when it's not grounded in love for one another, they might be up on, say, they might have all the accolades, have all the times, but Paul says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And you think of like, we would hand what we call spiritual authority over to those people, Right? Right? We would hand authority over our spiritual lives to guide us and direct us to those people. And I think what Paul is saying is, and we've seen this, that spiritual authority without love for one another, it just destroys faith communities. Now, I know this is going to be hard to imagine that there would be people in my line of work <laughs> that would ever do anything out of vain or selfish ambition. I mean, it's impossible to imagine. But Paul's getting at it. He's saying, listen, all that wisdom you can do, but here's the deal. At the end of the day, it'll be nothing. It'll all be destroyed. Because what happens? Abuse, neglect, control, manipulation, all those things will emerge inside of a faith community when we use our gifts and our talents for personal gain and not for the benefit of others. Does it mean that some good can come out of those gifts? Absolutely. People can be touched. People, lives can be changed by that wisdom. But at the end of the day, it will bring it down to nothing. And we see this. We see strife and contention and jealousy and anger. We see it in the church at Corinth. We see it in faith communities everywhere because it's not grounded in love. It's grounded in all kinds of other things. It's grounded in having the best music. It's grounded in having the best lights. It's grounded in having the best building. It's grounded in, I've got to get everything perfect. Everything's got to be perfect. 
As you can tell, I'm not into that with the message. It's anything but perfect. Because it's got to be grounded in a love for one another. Now, does that mean we shouldn't have excellence? Absolutely not. It means that we should strive to do everything as if we're doing it for Jesus himself. But when all of a sudden we say, well, I'm going to do this, and, and it's all my reputation's at stake, right? If I'm going to get all angry because a beat on the music gets missed or a program isn't printed right, and I think people are making judgments about me as the leader, now we have a problem. And that's the kind of stuff that was happening where Paul says, listen, you can have all these great gifts. Everything can look really wonderful. But at the end of the day, if it's not grounded in love for one another, it'll, it'll be destroyed. It'll be nothing. And then he goes on, and now he takes it to a whole nother level, right? Now he goes for it. He says, if I give away everything I own, and if I hand my body over so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, if I, if I surrender everything I have, if I'm called like an apostle and I give up everything, I sell everything and I go where I'm sent, or I even submit and surrender myself like Paul did on numerous occasions to physical torture and abuse because of his faith, because of what he believed. But if I do it just so that I can stand up and gain your respect, if I do it just so that I can stand up and say, look what I've done and I can call you to a greater commitment, I've gained nothing. I'd be like, Paul, you just said that the first gift was apostles. And apostles give up everything. Apostles are the ones that take on the beatings. And now you're saying they're nothing. Yeah. So you can have all that stuff on the outside, but if it's not grounded in true love for one another, I think what Paul's saying is it's just going to deplete a faith community. You know why? Because if all we're doing is saying, hey, look at how much I've given up. Look at how much I've suffered for my faith. Look at what I've done. You should do the same. You know what happens? Burnout. That's what happens. Look at how much time I give. Look at how much talent I give. Look at how much treasure I give. Everybody should give more. And we're always just more and more. And we're comparing ourselves. Blah, blah, blah. No, you gain nothing. We don't gain anything of eternal value. And so here's, I think, what Paul's getting at in these first three verses of 1 Corinthians. There's chaos in the community. Everybody's striving to be on top. Everybody wants to have the best gift. Everybody wants to be used. Everybody wants to be pat on the back. And what Paul's saying here in these first three verses, before he even talks about love, he says, regardless of talents and gifts, a faith community is nothing without genuine love for one another. Do you know that, that, that the scripture never says that they will know we are followers of Jesus by our lights? Do you know that? This might be shocking. Never says they will know we're followers of Jesus by our perfectly flawless technically executed worship services by our love. We want to transform a community. We want to be a people transformed. You love. Spiritual gifts without love is spiritual disaster. We're just another organization making widgets out there, building up a handful of people on the backs of other people. And so as peacemakers, as a community that has said, we are grounding our spirituality in Jesus' statement, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, heirs of God, reflections of the creator. So what about your everyday normal life? Because Paul's definitely addressing a community. But what about you as an individual? What about me as an individual? Well, I think there's a, a prayerful question that Paul's driving home. And that is we should all ask ourselves this question, no matter what arena of life we're talking about, whether we're talking about home, whether we're talking about our marriages, whether we're talking about our parenting, our work environment, the activism that we're involved with, whatever it might be, 
The prayerful question is, what motivates you? What is the underlying motivation when you serve, when you give, when you take those gifts and those talents and you use them? What's motivating you? Whether it's at home, church, work, what is it that motivates me? Do I pause and ask that question? Do I really open up my soul to the spirit of Jesus and say, what motivates me? When I empty the dishwasher, am I motivated so that my spouse sees it and says, thank you? Or am I just motivated because the dishwasher needs to be emptied and I want to contribute? Right? They didn't say thank you. Did you not see what I did? What's motivating us? Am I looking for credit? Am I looking for a thank you? Am I giving of myself? Do I go help somebody move? just so that they buy pizza, right? And is that why? And then when they don't have the pizza, I, can't, I go home and complain. I, I, moved, I moved four boxes. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing out of the deal. What's actually motivating me? Do I get frustrated when somebody doesn't say thank you? Do I get frustrated when somebody doesn't recognize how much I've given or what I'm doing? Like in church world, this happens. Nobody called me and said thank you. Could you imagine? I'm never doing that again. And we can like justify it totally in our brains, but it's just not Christ-like love. Am I looking just to advance myself, my own reputation, or am I really looking for opportunities to strengthen and encourage somebody? Am I really looking for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Not for my own benefit, not so people pat me on the back, not so that I can get credit, but just so that I can actually be like Jesus just so that I can know deep inside of my heart that I've been able to contribute to that person's success. And that kind of love, that motivation, that my, my actions towards any person in my life, it's motivated by true love because it's not for me, it's not what I get out of it, it's not I hope they say thank you, it's not I hope they give me 20 bucks, it's none of that, it's just because it's an opportunity to be kind. It's an opportunity to give. And so I'm going to go do that because it's the right thing to do. And it doesn't matter whether they say thank you. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to even let it factor into my head. That's Christ-like love. And that kind of love will transform any talent into a spiritual gift. Any talent, any talent whatsoever into a spiritual gift. An opportunity to bring the spirit of Jesus right into a relationship, right into a church. Because you see, a talent without love is just that. It's just a talent. It's something you're good at, something you can use for your benefit. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with using your talents for your benefit. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. But when there's opportunity to use our gifts, our talents, to benefit others, to help others, what's our response? Are we responding in Christ-like love? Well, the question is, what is Christ-like love? Well, that's what Paul talks about and we're going to look at next week. That's where he goes into now. He's like, okay, you've, been, you've, been, you've had this like counterfeit desire for like prestige and power and love, and you think that's where it's at. But here's the deal. All that stuff that you see that you think is so wonderful, at the end of the day, it's going to lead to nothing, lead to ruin without this thing called love. And now I'm getting ready to show you what it is. And if we'll get that, if we'll get a hold of this thing called love, like Paul describes, something pretty powerful dies in communities of faith and in relationships, and that's jealousy and strife. See, that's, if you were like, what was the presenting problem in Corinth, right? If we were to like diagnose them, the presenting problem in Corinth was jealousy and strife. They were jealous of one another, all these conflicts. And Paul says the antidote, the medicine 
is to go and love, to give of yourself. And he's going to lay out what that love looks like. So as we wrap up this morning, let me ask you this question. What is it that God's inviting you into? It's a question I ask every week. If we gather and it's just for some music, if it's just for a, a, a message, then we've missed it. We should be gathering so that we in community can hear the voice and the whispers of the Spirit of God calling us. into. So what is it that God's inviting you into today? We're going to sing a song together and, and just kind of have a few moments to meditate on that question. Maybe... Maybe God's inviting you to just commit the next five weeks to explore this idea of love and what it can, what it can do in, in your life if you just live it out. Like maybe that's just the invitation. Like I'm just going to make this a priority for five weeks to participate, to be present, whether online or in person. That's just the Spirit of God saying, hey, let's, let's go on this journey together. Let's get a master's degree in love together. Maybe, maybe you're sensing, maybe you've been around Crossroads for a while. And maybe you just get this sense like, I just need to connect here in this faith community, and I want to use my gifts and talents in a volunteer role. At the back of that Connect card, there's a little checkbox. You just check that box. And, and, and we have a team of people that they want to help find those spaces that, that take your gifts and talents, turn them into spiritual gifts, bring wholeness, fulfillment in your life, try out some things. Maybe that's a little whisper. And here's the, something I'm, I'm hoping that God is doing in the background, Right? in spite of me, in spite of our whatever we do right or wrong here, I, I'm praying that during this season that some of us who are like, you've been around the peacemaking business for a while. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you've been at church a long time. Like, when I say things like, hey, if you're new to Bible study, the, the, the Bible's divided into two segments. You kind of roll your eyes. You're like, oh my gosh, this again. And then you like quote all the books of the Bible. Or you've been around it. Like, I would just, maybe, maybe God's nudging you to lead. And I would, I'm praying that God is raising up a handful of people, individuals, couples that would just sense this nudge to lead a group where people can connect, like they would in Corinth, where they would share their lives with one another on a weekly basis. They would encourage one another, maybe share a meal. We call those kind of connect groups. And the pandemic has made it very difficult for us to stay connected with one another. And over these last few years, it's been hard as a church to, to really formulate and help people find those groups. But here's the thing. When I meet people that are new to Crossroads, you know, like one of the first questions I get asked is, where, where can I connect with some people? And I don't have any more room on my couch. <laughs> like my response to anybody asking is, oh, you can come to our connect group. <laughs> And so I just wonder if maybe God's nudging you because you've been around and you can create a space. Now, and it's not a Bible study. It's not a place to, an accountability group where we just tell everybody our deepest story. It's just a place to connect, to love one another. We complicate stuff a lot in church. I don't know if you know that or not. But just a space where people gather and share some coffee, a snack, a drink, whatever it might be. Ask how your week has been. What's going on? How can we be praying for one another this week? Pray together, laugh, and kind of do what they were doing in Corinth. Like, how do we actually live this Jesus-focused life together? And this connect group for like my family is really beautiful because it's a space where Christian community happens. It's a space where we care for one another. When somebody's sick, that's where the lasagna gets made. Call up here, the church office, hey, is there somebody I'm sick? Can somebody bring lasagna? We're like, well, what? No, I have a chef on staff here. What am I supposed to do? 
but like to do that for one another. You know, the Bible's filled with those one another's, and that's the beauty of Corinth. As messy as it was, they could be called to love, right? So as we sing this song, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand, unless you want to sit, and then you can sit. Um, you can fill out your connect card, whatever it might be, but I'm going to invite you to stand if you'd like, and we're going to sing this song, Cornerstone, that talks about the like, foundation of our life being Jesus. If you're here this morning and you would like prayer, uh, one of the things that's just nice to know that you're not alone sometimes. And so if you're here this morning and you would like to pray with someone about a circumstance that you're going through, uh, we have some of our care ministers that are going to be on the left and right here uh, of the auditorium, and they'd love to pray with you. And you can just come over and just share as much or as little as you want, and they'll just pray, and you'll just know you're not alone. If you're online, you can click the live prayer button on our online campus, and someone will pray with you. We believe that prayer is important, that prayer matters. Jesus seemed to think that prayer matters, and so he prayed. (laughs) And so that's what we do here as well. So I want to invite you to do that. Go ahead and stand on up as we sing this song, Cornerstone. Just take these few moments to be present with whatever God is inviting you into today. foundation that we can build our lives on, that we can trust in. So Lord, no matter what circumstances are happening in our world, in our lives right now, may we find hope, solace, and encouragement in this deep abiding truth that you are with us always. Amen. Amen. We like to finish our time together with a blessing. So do me a favor, stand on up, take a nice deep breath. Take a nice deep breath. Open up your arms up nice and wide. We physically want to receive into our personhood what we receive spiritually, this truth. So may God bless you and keep you. May the light of God's love shine on you in powerful ways this week. And this week, as you use your gifts and talents to care for a spouse or a partner or child, or as you use your gifts and talents at work or school or here at Crossroads, may God illuminate to your heart the motivations behind your actions. And may any misdirected desires for fame or wealth or power and prestige be revealed. And may God's spirit begin to redirect those desires. And may a desire to love God and love others surface in every area of your life. And may that become your motivation for all your interactions. And may the question, what does love ask of me, come to mind in all circumstances. And for those of you listening, tuning in, standing here, you might be struggling. You've listened to a lie that says you have nothing to offer, that you have no gifts or talents. May you hear the words of the Apostle Paul today in a fresh way, that the most excellent gift is love. And may we all know that the greatest gift we could ever offer our friends, our families, our co-workers, enemies, and our church is a genuine Christ-like love for one another. And may God open your spiritual eyes and spiritual hearts to new and refreshing ways to love one another as we explore together the wisdom of 1 Corinthians 13 in the days ahead. Amen. Have an awesome day, everybody.